Man, I, how many people love that song right there? Yeah. Y'all better get used to it. You're going to be singing it for years now. You're going to be singing it for a long time. My man, Jeremiah, I love that dude's energy, man. He make you think you can sing, for real, for real. <laughs> he almost got me confused. I might go in up here. Uh, man, he went kind of falsetto in here, too. Y'all heard him? Maxwell ministry out this joint. <laughs> Dag on it, Jeremiah. I love you, brother. Uh, we're going to be in First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Um, so you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, I want to get in a, a rhythm of doing this. I love to just honor my wife, Brittany. We almost seven years strong, y'all. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got my two munchkins here. They were at the first gathering, too, so they decided to stay for two. Two down, one more to go, y'all. Love these guys. Well, let's go ahead and uh, dive into this passage. Um, I guess I'll start and you guys finish. Um, let's stand for the reading of the word, please. All right, real, real loud. One, two, three. But you are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You may proclaim the excellencies. Amen, amen, amen. That's good reading right there. I'm going to tag this text, No More Mascots. I'm going to tag this text, No More Mascots. Let's go before the Father. Thank you so much, Father, um, that you designed man, but you did not make mascots. Um, that we don't have to pretend to have a sure identity, but that you have laid out our identity in Christ that we are truly what you say we are, and so that we might live the lives that you've called us to live. Lord God, please save someone in here tonight, I mean this morning. Uh, please, please, please sanctify many and be celebrated by all. We love you, we honor you, we thank you, and it's all for your wonderful name. Uh, we pray and do these things. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want to talk to you a little bit about identity today. Um, identity. Um, because I believe in our culture, identity is one of those things that just seems to confuse people. And as a matter of fact, we live in a culture that encourages us to confuse our identity. Our culture tells us that we can be whoever we want to be, whenever we want to be him. But I'm here to tell you that I'm five foot six with a 25-something inch vertical. I cannot be six seven with a 40 inch. It's just impossible. And yet our, our society wants us to believe that we can be whatever and whoever we want to be. There was a man named Paul, 57 years old. You might have seen this on social media. He abandons his seven children and his wife to live out his childhood dream of being a six-year-old girl. Now just, just think about that. My, bro, brother Paul is just, <laughs> help me, Lord Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Okay. I ain't going to recover. All right. Um, 
Okay, all right. So this brother, <laughs> this other dude, Paul, who he, he calls himself, help me, Lord. <laughs> he calls himself Stefan Key now. Um, wants to live out and be a six-year-old girl. And as I watched this over and over again, my heart began to be a little bit more pain because he, as he's trying to talk about how he is this six-year-old girl, listen to what he says. He says, it's liberated me, it's freed me, and I don't have to act, notice that word, act my age. I don't have to deal with the reality that is my past. Notice he said he doesn't act, have to act his age, meaning that he actually does have a real age. And he doesn't have to embrace the reality of his past, meaning that he has a real past. Two things that he doesn't want to embrace, and yet both of them he has to explain because that's not who he is. I have a daughter who's almost six years old, and she doesn't have to explain why she left a nine-to-five job. She doesn't have to explain to me why she doesn't mow the lawn on Saturdays. And she doesn't have to explain to me why she's not bringing home any money. Why? Because she actually is a six-year-old girl. But as a 57-year-old man, no matter how he wants to wire it, he has to explain that because that's not who he is. What I've called this is I call this mascot mentality. See, he's masking his pain in dresses. He's masking some ugly past in pumps, and he, he, he can't get around the fact that that's not who God has called him to be, but all of us in some ways do this. We put on mascot suit after mascot suit after mascot suit, hoping that no one will realize who we are, and yet we have to sleep with ourselves. We got to go to bed with ourselves. We are who we are, and just like in a mascot suit, there's a person underneath there. I don't know if y'all ever been to Chuck E. Cheese when you were younger, but he freaked me out. <laughs> Shit, sure did. <laughs> I mean, this, this dude always smiling, always trying to, you know, play and laugh and all of that, never talks, and always invading personal space. <laughs> I mean, he, he just wants to touch somebody. I'm like, that's not cool, yo. I mean, shame on Chuck E. Cheese is for naming their mascot after a daggone doll that killed little babies in the movie Child's Play. Y'all heard the movie Chucky? I'm like, why would you do that to kids? But here it is, Chucky. It's not really Chucky. There's a man under that suit who's hot, irritable, sweaty, frustrated, doesn't like his job. I mean, he, I mean dude, dude's sweating bullets under there. Like he was in a sauna with a north face on. I mean, just, just as irritable as can be, and yet on the outside, there's a smile that won't go down. Many of us are irritable. We've been called out of our names since we were children. We've been called and deemed unworthy. We've, we've said that we have no dignity anymore. Our past has has kept us from believing that we're worth anything. And so we put on these mascot suits in order to fool the world. But we can't fool God. And here God is saying, you don't have to try to cover yourselves in order to find an identity that gives you worth and dignity. I've done that in Christ already. And so that's what 1 Peter is all about. That's where he wants to get us at in these few verses we're going to chop up. And so if you look at 1 Peter, 
One of my favorite books in the Bible. Your boy Peter, we all know him. The, the, the dude who always has something good to say and then two seconds later has something bad to say. The one who declared Jesus to be the Christ and then just a few verses later, Jesus is saying, Satan, get behind me. Yet Peter's figured some things out by this point. He's getting a little bit older, a little bit more seasoned. And he comes to this audience of primarily Jewish people who have been exiled out of Rome because the Roman authorities think that they're the meddling people in society. That sound like Christianity a little bit? That they're bothered just by their mere presence. And so they exiled them, and he's talking primarily to a Jewish audience, but they're exiled into all these different nations. And there's a, there's a diversity in this group, in this church that he's writing to. And look at how he describes them in verse 1. He says this. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect. And what's the second word there? Exiles. Calls them elect exiles. I mean, it literally means that you're voted in to presidency and at the same time you're a fugitive in Russia. All at the same time. What Peter wants them to understand is that you have a home that is in heaven, and therefore, nothing down here will satisfy you, nothing down here will fulfill you, nothing down here will give you the enjoyment that you want, so stop trying. You're exiles. But at the same time, don't live your life discontent because of the job that you're at. Don't live your life in discontentment because of the temptations that you face. God has elected you for that particular place. So as we get to this most climactic point of the passage of this letter, he starts off by telling them who they are. And so I I just want to lay out for you guys three distinctions that we see in this passage. First off, we have to remember that we're a distinct people who who have a distinct proclamation and are called to live distinct lives. We're a distinct people with a distinct proclamation who are called to live distinct lives. Let's look at the distinct people. Look at this layout of 1 Peter, how beautiful is this? He says, but you are, not you have to fight for, not you have to try to become, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. This is exactly who you are, friends, if you trust in Christ. He says you are a chosen race. And this word for race means that this is your bloodline. This is not something that you do. Whenever somebody asks you how you are, who are you, the first thing that you go to is your career most of the time. I work here. Uh, I'm at this school. Um, I have these children. This is, this is what he's saying. He's saying your bloodline is actually who you are, though. And he's saying, your bloodline is one race with the people of God. Now, everybody's saying amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. But what is this race comprised of? Both Jew and Gentile. Ask Jonah if he liked that. Both, both, Both black and white. Both those who want to protest using Black Lives Matter and those who think it's a sham. Both Nazis and Jews. Both slave masters and slaves. 
Both, both those who advocate greatly for Donald Trump and those who advocate for Hillary Clinton and all the rest of us who are sane enough to know that no matter who get in office, we in trouble. <laughs> this is who the one race is comprised of. Do you see it that way? And God said he's chosen you for that. This word for chosen is a wonderful word. It means intimately selected. There was some intimacy in God selecting you. Personally preferred. This word preferred. You are preferred by God. And I don't know about you, there's been some girls who did not prefer me. There have been some people in high school, some friends who just ain't prefer me. There, there have been some family members who showed over time that they didn't prefer me. In your life, there have been some people who said, I prefer that one, not you. And God said, I don't care if your father, your mother, your brother, and your sister, and nobody else prefers you, I prefer you. You're who I prefer. And let's, 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 let's hold up though, because we don't wanna get a big head in this preference. I mean, we, we prefer a lot of things in our lives, we prefer different burger places over other burger places. I used to prefer Little Caesars over anything else. Call me crazy, whatever. I love my cardboard pizza. <laughs> I prefer real bacon, and I said real, not pork, real bacon over turkey bacon, because that's that fake stuff. <laughs> we have preferences all day long, but our preferences are always built into what can we get out of it? But here, God's preference, God saying he prefers you has absolutely nothing to do with you. Yeah. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. It says this, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. His preference for you comes from himself. He loves you because he loves you. And that's all the love you need. His preference for you, he prefers you. Look at this next. And I want to quickly just jump back here for a second. We're in a culture right now that there's a tension that frustrates me specifically as a Christian. I can't do anything about what happens outside of the church, but this chosen race is supposed to be a mosaic for God to glorify his name before all peoples. And yet, many times we value our ethnic race over our eternal one. And we ostracize those who are a part of our eternal race for mere affirmation on social media. Be, just be careful what you're saying on there. I mean, just be careful what you're saying to friends. The gossip, the lies, the slander of your own race. This means something. Here we go next, though. He says next, the royal priesthood. Royal priesthood. Now, this word for royal points to the fact that we are little emperors in a society, 
In Rome, the, 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 the society was structured in which slaves were the lowest of society and the emperor was the highest in society, the most honorable in society, and here he calls us royalty. Royalty. Now, black folk, black folk, black folk, all eyes up here. Now, we, we got this pan-Africanism movement going on now that somehow believes that all the billions of black folk in the universe come from one nation, Egypt. Like, no! Like, Africa's big, guys. And we're not all from Egypt. But here's where it gets even sillier. Even if every black person you saw was from one country, Egypt, which is silly in itself, guess what? This wasn't an eldership that they ran their country like. There wasn't a group of elders. There wasn't a whole bunch of leaders. There was one leader, Pharaoh. Guess who everybody else was in the country? Slaves and workers. So even if everybody comes from Egypt, everybody isn't a nation of kings and queens out of Egypt. Just doesn't work like that. And here's what makes it all backwards in my mind. I mean, this is how weird it gets. When we try to find our worth and dignity through coming back to some weird sketched family tree that somehow makes us all pharaohs, we end up in the same slavery that we blame Christianity for. God said, your royalty and your dignity does not come from Pharaoh. It comes from the king of kings. It comes from the king of kings. And so we're royalty, but we also are a priesthood. So there's the privilege. We're royalty. Let's get excited. We're royalty, kings and queens. Amen. But we're also the priesthood. Here's the dominion and duty. We got a duty. And the priests in the Old Testament, their job was to go into the temple and make sacrifices for the people of God. Guess what they smelled like most of the time? Blood. They didn't smell real good. How, could you imagine all day long being around some nasty stink cattle, goats? I mean, you're living on a farm, and not only that, but you're cutting them open consistently. Smelt like blood. You didn't have to know that they were priests in order to know that they were priests. And yet, God calls us his priesthood. And so what should we be smelling like when people come near us? What should we smell like? We don't need any more bulls and goats. We got one sacrifice, and it's the person of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, when people come in contact with us, they should know that we have been with Christ because we smell like his blood. We're saturated in his blood. We've been covered in his blood, and everything that we do in our lives, from our families to our friends, from our careers to our colleges, should smell like the blood of Christ. We're a royal priesthood. Let's, let's look at this next. He says we're a holy nation. This word for holy essentially just means different. And we got to be careful here that we're not just different for all the wrong reasons. I mean, too many times Christianity is known for being different because of our stance on homosexuality and abortion. 
Not for humility. Not for repentance. Not for self-sacrifice. Not for service. Our stance on two issues. God says, that's not where your difference comes from. You're holy to me. Set apart from me. He says, we said we're a holy nation. Now, here's where it gets really good for me. He calls us a people for his, his own possession next. He calls us a people for his own possession. And this word for, for possession means to make fully one's own. He has fully made us his own. We're not on layaway no more, y'all. I mean, we, we've been made fully his own. We are his possession. We are God's. And I want, I want to show you where this comes from. Um, um, in the Old Testament, specifically in the Pentateuch, as you're walking through the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, and I know most of y'all have read Genesis. It has all the cool stories about Abraham and Joseph and creation. Most of y'all made it even through Exodus, and it has all the cool stories of the plagues. But I know y'all skip over that Leviticus and Numbers ministry and Deuteronomy ministry, and y'all just want to get to Joshua and Judges. But if you spend some time in those other three books, you'll see this word for possession over and over and over and over and over and over again. And what God is saying to the people is that I have a possession waiting for you, a land flowing with milk and honey that I promised to Abraham that I would give to you. In our old churches, we used to spend a lot of time talking about this land of possession. We will always talk about how we've been called out of Egypt into this land of possession. And so God uses his word over and over and over again to the people, and they are salivating about this land. I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to find my place where there's milk and honey and fertile ground. And God says, as you're looking to the promised land, the same way you're longing for that, with all its milk and honey and fertile soil, the same way you're pursuing that is the same way that I'm pursuing you. God calls you his possession. Though you are not a land flowing with milk and honey, though you are not a heart of fertile soil, though you are not a, a very plush and, and, and moist land, God says, I'll fill you with pure spiritual milk. I, 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 I'll make for you a fertile heart. I, I, I'll water you with my word in order that you will be my people of possession. God says that you're longing for that, and I'm longing for you. And it has nothing to do with you, all to do with my love. So God says you are his possession. Now, that's the privileged side of possession, but we know that there's a responsibility side of possession. You are not your own. You are not your own. You are not your own. God owns you. God owns you. God owns you. When I was in high school, I used to ride to, to school with all my, my homies, and um, Let's just say we didn't follow many of the street laws. We, we, we didn't see street lights, we didn't see stop signs, and we most surely didn't see speed limits. 
And so we drive to school reckless every single day. But there'll always be that random time where one of my homies' cars broke down and his mom let him use his car. And immediately, without him showing me the title on the car, I knew that that wasn't his car. Because all of a sudden, the speed limit is legible again. All of a sudden, he sees stop signs again. All of a sudden, the red lights make sense again. See, I didn't have to see his title to know that he wasn't the owner. Christians, 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 nobody should have to pull out your baptism certificate to know who owns you. No, nobody should have to see the video of you being converted to know who owns you. Your life should be marked by your ownership, and that is God's excellency, which we're going next. So let's move to that then. We are a distinct people, but we also have a distinct proclamation. We have a distinct proclamation. Okay, so what is the purpose of calling us all these great things, royalty and chosen? It's to show off the fact that we're only chosen because Christ was the Messiah. We're, we're only royalty because Christ is the King of kings. We, we are only a people for his possession because Christ is most treasured by God. And so all of that, those things come from him. So if that's the case, who should we proclaim? Christ. This word for proclaim in verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This word for proclaim means to literally declare out, to shout out, to, 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 to make something that was originally hidden fully known. Um, I'm making right now a presentation that I've been working on for months now. And I'm making that presentation on PowerPoint. Anybody use PowerPoint before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know the trouble of PowerPoint sometimes. And one of the difficulties I'm having is I have all of this content and I'm trying to figure out how I want to lay out these slides. And so on one slide, I might have a header, I might have a title, I might have a picture, I might have some body words, I might have a video, I might have all of these components, and I have to try to figure out what's most important, what do I want people to recognize, what should dazzle and pop out on the slide. So once you figure that out, once you decide what should pop out, you can right-click on that component, and there's an option called Bring to Front bring to front. And so when you right click on that, it could be hidden. It could be partially not seen. It could be all the way invisible because of all the clutter you have on that slide. As soon as you right click on that component and click bring to front, that component comes right to the front. God has made a presentation for his glory and each one of your lives is a slide in that presentation. And there's a whole bunch of clutter that we have in our lives that we want people to walk away seeing. But God is saying, I want to click in your soul on the component called Christ, and I want to click bring to front. I want when people see you, for Christ to be the one who is proclaimed, for Christ to be the one who is exalted, for Christ to be the one who is seen. We got to bring him to the front. Got to... Um, 
if, you, if that didn't work for you, I got one more for you because I really want you to hit this. Y'all remember back in the hip-hop days, early 2000s, we had what was called the BET Hip Hop Awards, and it's still going on, but it's not the same. <laughs> where, where during the early 2000s, everybody was in a hip hop group. Everybody was in a rap group. You had Saint Lunatics, Mob Deep, No Limit Soldiers, The Hot Boys. I mean, all these cats. And you know, whenever the hip hop, I used to hate it, man. Every time a hip-hop group would get an award, all his boys, all his posse, I mean his family, friends, everybody comes on stage with him. And for some reason, everybody has to be able to say something too. And so, what does he always do? Each person gives to give their shout-outs. I just want to shout out my man, Mookie Blaylock. I just want to shout out Crunch Crunch, Choo Choo Train. Elmo, Lil Bird. I mean, all these cats who you like, is this Sesame Street out this jaw? Like, what is going on right now? And as an audience, you have no clue who those people are until he shouts them out. What God is saying to Christians is that you are called out to give a shout out. You were called out of darkness to give a shout out to the one of glory. Called out to give a shout out. Here it is next. We are distinct people with a distinct proclamation. But the last thing on here is we must live distinct lives. You can't just be the, the blessed and highly favored you, get, you, can't, you can't just be the, the head and not the tail. You can't just be all these cool cliches and not having a distinct life. We must live distinct lives. Now notice what he says when he gets here. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He said you were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you see the transference there? I mean, you're going from basically nothing to something. You weren't a free agent. Nobody knew your name. You're playing pickup ball on the, on the block. And the Golden State Warriors came to your block and said, I want to sign you. God says that you were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Y'all seen at the end of the movie Lion King? Y'all all seen a movie? Tag on it, Paul. Tag every time. <laughs> Jesus. First Forrest Gump, now this, man. All right. In the movie Lion King, after Simba leaves, the Pride Land gets very gloomy. And there's a scene where Scar calls Sarabi. Sarabi, Sarabi, Sarabi. It doesn't get much darker than that. <laughs> and yeah, here comes Simba after he, after he had his Akuna Matata ministry. He comes back, and he got with him a, a muskrat and, and some, what, what is Pumbaa again? Or oh, meerkat, and what's Pumbaa Bay? Warhog, there we, there we go. <laughs> he comes back, and he defeats Scar. And what happens? All of that darkness, 
leaves and the pride land becomes bright again. What God is saying is that as soon as Christ entered your life, the darkness was gone. Gone! And all that you could see is the brightness of his glory. So you're here to proclaim him with your distinct lives, though. So look what he says in verse 11. He says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain. Somebody say abstain. Abstain, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. Wage war against your souls. This means that there is a battle going on, and it's not like some you-got-served battle. <laughs> Y'all remember that movie? Like, it, it was the most frustrating thing in the world. I mean, they're literally angry with each other, and then they say, you know what? I can't stand you. <laughs> Take that. Like, I don't know what hood you grow up. We don't fight like that. Peter's saying here, this, this passion that is in your flesh is not here to dance with you. It's here to destroy you. And so he says, abstain from it, from the passions of the flesh. This word to abstain literally means this. This is beautiful. It means to gain something by distancing yourself from something else. It's a compound word meaning to gain something by distancing yourself from something else. This is beautiful here. What do we gain? Fulfillment, life, dignity, worth. I mean, we gain all of this in Christ. And he calls us to stiff arm our passions. I mean, this. I mean, I don't know if y'all watched a lot of football back in the day, but Walter Payton, how many people seen Walter Payton? Remember Walter Payton? Okay, that doesn't work for you guys. Marshawn Lynch, beast mode, maybe a little bit younger generation, maybe Barry Sanders. All these guys had one, something in common. They all had the meanest stiff arm in the world. And the stiff arm was used for one purpose, stiff arming the defender to gain yardage. What Christ says is that he calls you to stiff arm these passions to gain life in him. Because these passions are here to kill you, to destroy you. Now the word for passions is a funny word. It's not just sin. Passions is a funny word. This could be good stuff. This could be really good stuff. I mean, one of the things that I'm always asked is who created sin? Did, did God create sin? Of course not. So they say, well, the devil created sin. I'm like, no, you're giving him too much credit, Doc. The devil can't create anything ex nihilo like God can. Sin is nothing but a distortion of goodness. You, you, you want to talk about lust? A distortion of what God created good, marital sex. You, you, you want to you talk about idolatry? A distortion of what is good, which is proper worship of God. I mean, any sin you can name, it's just a distortion. So what is God is saying is put away the distortions and embrace the reality because that's where you find the fulfillment, the real life. 
these passions, many times show itself up in our lives in the form of indulgence. Where we, we take something that's good, but we just don't know when to say, when to say no. I mean, have you ever been rocked in your, in your stomach almost like an MMA type, uh, type uh, elbow right in your gut after watching like the 30th episode of the Game of Thrones in a row? Now, it was cool when it was like the first episode. It was all right when it was like the second. But over time, the Holy Spirit is like, enough is enough, Doc. Enough is enough. Give me some time. Give me some time. Passion says no. Just one more episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 yes, passions. Yes, passions. Passion says just, just one more scroll on Facebook. Just one more video. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, passions. Yes, passions. Passion says just, just one more look. Yes, passions. Yes, passions. I just got to get one more word out. Yes, passions. Yes, passions. And we say yes to passions over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then when we want to fight clear sin in our lives, we have no ammo because we've given it all to passions. We need to get, y'all ever seen uh, the rise of the planet of the apes? The boy, the, uh, the monkey Caesar. The one word he got a chance to finally say, no! <laughs> we got to say no to passions. We got to say no. We got to get a no in our souls because it's there to kill you. You, you know what sucks about this, though, is that isn't it always easier to give in to passions? I mean, that's, that's the reality of sin. Isn't it always easier to do that which brings death? And then the thing that brings life, spending good time playing with your children. I'm telling you, it's hard sometimes. I don't want to fly another paper airplane sometimes. But my son makes the most beautiful paper airplanes, and I say, let's do it, son, again, even though dad is so exhausted. And at the end of that, I feel exhilarated. I feel life. I feel enjoyment. I mean, it's much, much easier at times to just kick back and throw in the office than to pray with my wife over our family. But after watching 16 episodes of The Office, I wake up in the morning more tired, more frustrated, more irritated than I ever was before. And it was a comedy. Imagine if I did something like a drama. <laughs> but if I spend 15 minutes in prayer with my wife, I feel so much fulfillment, so much life, so much joy. And it's, it's just harder. And it's not harder because of the physical activity that you have to exert. I mean, just think about this real quick. You got Facebook app, and you got a Bible app. Now just think about the dexterity it takes to do both. You got to click it, and you scroll. You click it, and you scroll, and yet it's always easier to press that stinking blue F <laughs> than it is to click 
on the scripture that brings life? Could it be that the frustration that you feel working and getting up every morning to go to a job that you don't like is not simply because the job is wrong? Could it be that you spend more time basking in the book than in the book? Like, it doesn't bring life. And I'm not here to say you can't look on Facebook and you can't do this and you can't do that. I'm just saying God created things for us to enjoy, not to indulge. So, how do we fight these passions? How do we fight these passions? We remember that we're a distinct people with a distinct proclamation, called to live distinct lives. I'll, I'll leave you with this conclusion. My son loves playing NBA 2K. And uh, it's a video game, basketball game, and he loves playing with the Warriors. And his favorite player on the game, of course, is Steph Curry. Now, the first time he played with Steph Curry, he had been in a rhythm of playing with John Wall. And if you know anything about these two players, they're very different. They're both point guards, but one is athletic and can't shoot a lick. And then you have Steph Curry, who can shoot the lights out of the ball. My son was playing with Steph Curry as though he was John Wall, and he was losing. And I simply reminded my son, you got to remember who you are. You're Steph. Take some threes, son. <laughs> and he's been winning ever since. <laughs> what, what am I saying? What am I saying? I'm saying that when we remember who we are, when we remember that God has called us to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, we can fight this thing called passions and live a life to the glory of God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have called us to all these wonderful titles that we don't deserve a drop of all because of who your son is. So I pray that there, if there are those in here who have been raped, molested, been told that they were worthless, that God, you would encourage their hearts that they are kings and queens in your kingdom. That you have called them your treasured possession. That you have preferred them, Lord God, if no one else has. Embed that in our hearts so that we might live lives that proclaim the excellencies of you who called us out of your darkness into your marvelous light. We believe these things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.